morning, everybody. Joining us right now is Representative Anna Williams, Democratic incumbent for House District 52, which includes parts of Clackamas, Multnomah, and Hood River counties. Representative, good morning. Good morning. How is your world, any of your, what of your district is being impacted by the fires right now? The entire Clackamas County portion of the district is um, under at least a level one or level two evacuation. Many folks have been evacuated under the level three, um, and we're still waiting to see what damage occurred um, yesterday afternoon and overnight. It's a bit beyond the ambit of a state representative, but I'm sure it's something that you get a couple emails, some phone calls, and certainly you care about. How do you engage during a time like this, and or what, what are ways that people should be helping? The ways that people can help, um, you know, most directly is to donate to the Red Cross and to look into volunteering for the Red Cross. We sent out a newsletter yesterday to the um, to everyone in my district with information about how to sign up to volunteer and find out if you're eligible. Um, checking in on family and friends that live in the area, making sure they have a place to go and that they're planned if they need to evacuate their packing, those kinds of things. Um, as far as what I'm doing, we um, have a team of about 10 volunteers that are calling folks in the Clackamas County part of the district to check in on them and offer them local resources, help them find their evacuation point, uh, figure out what to do with horses or livestock they may have that may also need to be evacuated. Um, so we're just trying to be as, as directly supportive as we can to the folks who are struggling so we can get through this and then figure out you know, next steps down the road when we're through the crisis. Well, let's talk about you for a bit. You're relatively new in the state legislature. You're running right now for re-election. But let's talk a little about your background. Started as a social worker. Well, started, started as a baby like all of us did. But you're, earlier you were a social worker. Do I have that right? Yeah. I um social worker um, primarily in uh, domestic and sexual violence response. I also worked uh, with elder care and home care workers. Um, trying to, to help support our aging population, especially in rural communities where, um, in Oregon, we're aging more rapidly in our rural parts of the state. Uh, so figuring out some concrete plans for that is actually why I ran for the legislature. We were um, kind of consistently bumping into state policy as we were trying to solve problems creatively out in rural Oregon um, and figured I had some in-depth information that might be useful at the legislature. So I... Uh, Worked really hard in 2018 and got myself in, and um, now I'm working hard to stay. Aging more rapidly. Time passes the same. What are the indicators you look, <laughs> that you look at? People break hips earlier. People live uh, live not as long. What are the key indicators? So what I mean by that is that our um, average age in rural Oregon is higher than the average age in um, urban Oregon. Lots of kids will leave their small hometowns to go to universities or colleges in larger communities and build networks there and decide to stay. Um, you well, see so the average age, it's not, it's not that a person age. living in the rural community is having a hard time with health. It's just the average age is higher in rural communities. What, you know, kind of sort of a brain drain, like the young folks say, get me out of here, I'm heading out? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There aren't as many jobs um, in rural communities that are enticing for younger people. Um, and, you know, school districts aren't as good in lots of smaller towns. And so there's just so many poles to move to a more urban uh, setting that we're uh, seeing lots of older adults living without family to support them in our more rural communities across 
state. Do you think that this time in history, there might be some reversal of that? As people realize that their meetings can be done by Zoom, and right now most of them are being done that way, that they might be able to have a cheaper house or maybe a bigger piece of land or maybe be near water if they were to live in Hood River or live in the Dalles or live along the Sandy River? Do you think that there might be, just by sort of the natural progression of information technology, sort of reversal of this kind of flocking to the cities? Or do you think this is something that we have to deal with structurally beyond that? I think both. Um, We are already starting to see with regard to housing sales that uh, rural homes are continuing to sell at rates um, at or above what they were prior to the pandemic. And I think that's exactly related to what you mentioned as far as people being able to work remotely and so many things being able to be done over Zoom. Um, And the poll of, you know, at least my kids could get outside and run around if we had an acre or two. Um, That's very enticing to the folks who can't afford to buy a house right now um, in a more rural community. And I think we need to look at uh, structural changes or um, updates in our, especially the way that we care for older adults and making sure that the workforce is well-trained and well-paid. Um, it's, it's really hard work, and it's traditionally paid $15 an hour or less, um, and, and so it's, you know, it's one of the most important things um, that we can do as a community is care for one another. So my, that's why my legislative focus is primarily on things like child care and elder care and making sure that um, the human beings in our communities are cared for um, in a way that really honors their dignity and their humanity. What are some of the additional job opportunities? What are ways you try to address not only what jobs exist in rural Oregon now, but elements of a, a new, new economy, a 21st century economy that could help support our rural communities? One of the big things is making sure everyone in Oregon has access to high-speed broadband internet. That is a challenge that we have been working on for years, um, even prior to my getting to the legislature. We were able to finally pass a 75-cent surcharge on cell phones, similar to what we used to all have on our landlines, to help pay for the installation um, of that infrastructure. So make, just making it like possible, but then also looking at how do we make sure that people have access to health care in rural communities. Again, typically through telehealth is going to be a primary way. Um, and looking at the different types of job opportunities, you know, the economy is, is just in a dramatic change right now as we respond to COVID. People are learning um, what they can do online, what they can do differently. Restaurants are changing and, you know, becoming sort of local CSAs and um, some local restaurants here in my district started selling flour to people directly when people were unable to get it at the grocery store. Um, so, you know, the, our economies are going to continue to adapt. We need need to make sure that the policies we put together at the state level are not unintentionally squelching economic growth in rural communities so that families can continue to live good lives um, off the I-5 corridor. No, I think the uh, whether it's farm to schools, whether it's water storage projects, whether it's uh, using other ways of government procurement to provide markets to local farmers so they don't have to ship their potatoes to China. Uh, that's that's big and real stuff. And and my back when I was working on water policy, what dawned on me then was that uh, urban Democrats underprioritized water resources, and rural Republicans were uh, under comfortable in 
subsidizing and paying for it and regulating those. And so we've got that that chance for an urban Democrat or excuse me, a rural Democrat to advocate for smart agriculture policy, which isn't just benefiting multinational agricultural conglomerates, but it's actually benefiting human beings within there and beyond their jurisdiction, but not infinitely beyond their jurisdiction. Good on you, a big deal. As for also the rural broadband thing, yeah, my plug is make a utility, make it a public thing. Other countries do better than us because we actually not only invest public money to give it over to AT&T, but because we build public apparatus that benefits the people. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think water is going to be the number one issue that we need to start addressing, and we should have been working on it as we should have been putting together good climate policy for the last 20 years. Um, the you know the water system in, on the uh, on Mount Hood is is just cobbled together through a variety of tiny little water co-ops and some for-profit companies are going in trying to buy up yep. the rights to those um, co-ops and I think we're going to find ourselves in a water crisis that we were not even aware was coming if we don't get proactive about it right now. Dig in on that. Build votes for that. Build a coalition around that. That is. There is nothing that is more important. There are other things that are also deeply important, but there, it's that is tied for first because we can live without a bunch of stuff, can't live without water, and if it all gets privatized, we're all hosed. Water. It's a, it's, a, it's a big, big deal. People should get become water nerds. Become water nerds. Western water policy, policy is ridiculous. And the only real solution at this point, other than changing the whole deal, is meaningful public investment into water resources, including storage projects that make sure that they are there as a dry day fund so that when there's a problem, the people have water and it's not all owned by Nestle. Sorry, I went on a little bit of a rant. Uh, <laughs> want to ask about another area of your background that's germane right at this moment. You talked about domestic violence response. We are seeing a spike in domestic violence in the middle of the pandemic as there's higher level of stress, greater economic stress, more people at home not getting a break from one another, higher substance use. What are your reflections on that? What are things you think ought to be done about that? With regard to the increase in rates, um, I mean, you're exactly right as to why it's happening. Um, you know, Domestic violence is, a, is a, a play for power and control in a relationship, and when someone feels like they're losing control over the rest of their lives, as I think a lot of people feel right now, we don't know when the pandemic is going to end. We don't know how long our jobs are going to be there for us. Um, some folks who are um, more prone to using violence to feel like they're in control of something are, are leaning on that tactic more heavily than usual. And the, the real crisis for me is in um, child abuse in that, the state recognized the domestic violence uh, was going to rise as uh, isolation continued in the pandemic and invested significant financial resources to make sure that, for instance, as shelters weren't able to house as many people because of social distancing, they had the ability to purchase hotel vouchers and people who were fleeing violence were able to stay um, anonymously at hotels in a way that kept them safe from any, any perpetrator who might be looking for them. However, we have not been able to get the state to um, invest in child abuse response in the same way. Um, while those uh, those same dynamics are occurring in families, and often the most powerless person in the family is a young child, uh, we are we are not seeing the same level of investment in child abuse and child abuse uh, child advocacy centers like we should. So, um, my sort of hill to die on during COVID-19, um, after after making sure our farm workers were safe and protected is trying to get the state to really make meaningful investments in our child abuse uh, response networks to make sure that kids are safe, 
abusers are held accountable and that uh, criminal prosecutions can proceed quickly where appropriate. Um, and long, longer term, I think actually Oregon has great domestic violence policy. We have some tweaks that need to be made, which I'm um, working on and dropping some bills that will be in the 2021 20, session if I, when I win my election. Um, but we actually are pretty, pretty well set from a policy standpoint. We now need to do the training and implementation to make sure that all the related systems, law enforcement, hospitals, schools are aware of how those policies work and can implement them properly. Your district, District 52, we're talking to Representative Anna Williams running for re-election. Uh, again, encompassing parts of uh, Clackamas, Multnomah, and Hood River counties. It is what we would call a swing district. It's a di- district, unlike, let's say, you know, where I'm sitting at this moment, that a Democrat or a Republican could, could win and has recently. What are you facing in your election? It's a tough race. Um, I think this district is uniquely um, independent-minded. we That's the highest number of voters in our district are independent registered, either not affiliated or independent party of Oregon. Um, and and voters who are Democrats or Republicans, from my calls that, with voters this time, don't feel fully represented by either party. So, um, you know, I have I am the Democrat and I am also the independent party nominee for this race. And what what this district wants is somebody who understands life in this district and is ready to stand up to either party to communicate how policies are, are will work or will not work for uh, voters in this district. So um, what I'm facing is is a lot of national dynamics in terms of um, people being close enough to Portland to be very fearful of um, the the violence and, and sometimes the biased news coverage that's addressing that violence on TV, um, but not necessarily close enough to really see all of the different details that are leading up to that violence. And so um, I'm, I'm pushing back a little bit against the, the national dynamic and dialogue. Um, and now that we're in this, you know, wildfire crisis, campaigning is a challenge because it's really not an appropriate thing to be doing to call people to ask for their votes uh, when they're fighting for their lives. Campaigning in 2020, it is such an odd thing. I am still trying to get my arms around it, and it just became in the last several days even odder. Thank you for spending the time with us. One last question. You already asked answered the question I was going to ask about a key priority for you moving to the next session uh, if, if and or when you win. Both of us identified things that need more investment. Uh, we both talked about water. We both talked about uh, domestic violence and support for people dealing with that. That said, going into the next session, you're not going to be dealing with big budget surpluses. You're going to be dealing with a budget almost certainly that's seeing huge revenue drops based on the economic crisis caused by our failure to deal with the pandemic. How do you wrestle with that? What do you anticipate dealing with in the budget? So I expect that the budget conversation is probably going to be one of the hardest things that all of us as legislators do um, in our lifetimes, the budget conversation that's facing us in 2021. And what I am going to do in that conversation is really focused on if we cut this dollar, what is the consequence of that cut? Uh, we will be facing massive cuts. There's no way around it. But if you look back to the cuts that were made in 2009 in response to the stock market crash of 2008, um, some of the cuts were a little bit short-sighted and in many ways have been tracked back to the homelessness crisis, the, the extent of the homelessness crisis that we're suffering now. And so um, making sure that that conversation is clear and continues to be repeated, that if we do not continue to invest in the people that live in our state um, and 
make priorities that are are more short-sighted, we're going to dig ourselves into another hole that is going to take us 20 years to dig out of. So um, being really smart about the unintended consequences or the potential long-term consequences of every dollar that we cut is is my primary goal um, going into the 2021 session. Anna Williams, thank you so much. And it hadn't it hadn't occurred to me that, of course, in that Fox News viewership numbers are higher in uh, outer East Multnomah County, in uh, in Hood River County, and Clackamas County than they are in some other areas, certainly in Inner Portland. So that is something you end up talking about on the doorstep, or in this case, the Zoom meeting. Anna Williams, State yes. Representative, thank you so much for spending time with us. Thanks so much. Have a good day. And thanks for your service.